Hey, before we get started with today's episode, I just want to quickly let you know that if you DM me the word audit on Instagram, that's at Ken Westgar, we'll do a quick 15-minute audit of your launch. And by the end of the audit, you'll know exactly where to put your focus in order to grow and scale your next launch. So like I said, DM me the word audit on Instagram, and I'll talk to you soon. You are listening to the Oh My God, I'm Launching podcast. This is episode number 37. And I am joined by Joey Vitali. He is a trademarking expert, something that people maybe don't know that they want and most certainly don't know that they need. But in this day and age, you know, you got to protect your podcast, your course, your method, your brand in, in general. There's so many things that you need to think about. So we talk a little bit about that, but we naturally of course talk a little bit about launches and joey he is getting ready to do some affiliate launches which we haven't talked about on this podcast so that's really exciting so stay tuned and let's dig into the episode have you launched your online course with great success or maybe you launched totally tank and you just want to curl up and cry well it really doesn't matter Hi, my name is Ken Westgar, and I'll help all my course creators and membership site owners creating the most fun and profitable launches without having to go it alone. In this podcast, we talk about all kinds of launches. You'll get tons of valuable insights and fun stories that highlights the dramatic ups, downs, failures, and success that comes from being in launch mode. This is the Oh My God, I'm Launching podcast. All right, welcome everybody to the Oh My God, I'm Launching podcast. My name is Ken Wesker, and I'll be your host. And today I am joined with Joey Vitali. Welcome, Joey. Oh my gosh, Ken, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here, man. I'm excited to have you. I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. You did. That was impressive. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> you never know with these last names. There's so many crazy ways to say Us things. Italians have a lot of different pronunciations, yeah. but you got it. Vitale. I nailed it. Awesome. Your line of business is something that we usually don't talk about on this podcast. It's trademarking. Yeah. And I think that's uh, really interesting. I, I love coming up with great names and I want to see great names, you know, Obviously, trademarking is not just about names, but uh, just finding that perfect phrase or the perfect name for your course or whatever podcast, it's so important. And then protecting it is even more important. And that's your sonar genius. Yeah, it's been a fun ride just as an entrepreneur and a lawyer. I started out as kind of like a blank canvas. I'll be an attorney in whatever way my clients want me to be. And very quickly, it became clear that my clients were being blindsided by trademark issues. And so I mm-hmm. leaned into that, figured out why, and then wanted to do what I could to raise more awareness to that issue. And you're right, Ken, I think a lot of people, like, they like the naming side of the mm-hmm. business. Maybe yeah, we can spend a lot they, of time on it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's kind of a fun, creative part of being an entrepreneur. I also know it can get stressful and frustrating when you're trying to find that perfect name and it's just mm-hmm. not landing. And so many people... I think have been trained through like GoDaddy and other places to think that if the domain name's available and the social mm-hmm. media handle is available, then I'm okay. Yeah. And then you do it and you run with it. And the reality is so many people are filing for trademarks and there's so many, there's so much that's not common sense about the way that trademarks work, mm-hmm. where a lot of people aren't realizing until it's too late that the name that they thought was okay to use was actually infringing on somebody else's trademarks right how far can people go in terms of you know if you 
have a name that's been taken or is trademarked already, how far will people go to, you know, get that name secured that you're not using it? Yeah. So the, the question is like how, if, if someone thinks that you're infringing their trademark, yeah, how, exactly. how, how far will they go to get you to stop it? Mm-hmm. Well, there are a couple of different ways that people can, the, the nice thing about owning a trademark is that it's relatively easy for you to enforce it. Mm-hmm. One easy thing that people do is send a cease and desist letter that says right. you have 30, 45, 90 days to change everything else. We're going to sue you. Mm-hmm. And Usually starting that process is relatively easy because you have this trademark registration number you can cite. Um, And so a lot of people take that, receiving that cease and desist letter pretty seriously. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that people can do, which people don't really realize is, let's say that I have a trademark registration and I see you on Instagram or even on iTunes, like with your podcast, Mm -hmm. using a phrase that's similar to mine. I can go to Instagram or I can go to iTunes and report infringement for free Mm -hmm. and cite my registration number. And it's very likely that Instagram, iTunes, Etsy, Pinterest, Facebook will see that infringement report. And if there's a registration number cited, Mm -hmm. they don't ask any questions. They can just flag your account, shut it down, Mm. no questions asked. Right, And so what we're starting to see now are more cease and desist letters not threatening an expensive lawsuit. Mm-hmm. They'll say, hey, we're reaching out to you because we could for free send an infringement report. Mm-hmm. We're going to hold off on that until you comply with our 30, 45, 90 day mm-hmm. cease and desist demand. Yeah, that's, uh, that's perhaps a nice way to do it instead of just yeah shutting you down and not yeah i mean yes but it could also be a disaster for the business owner we've had Uh, absolutely really just nightmare stories one of our now great clients reached out to me because she she was like hey i was about to leave on vacation Mm -hmm. and right before the plane boarded i checked my email (laughs) and it was a cease and desist letter about a podcast that i've been using for years Mm mm-hmm and so the entire flight to start my vacation, when I didn't have internet access anymore, I was freaking out because mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going on. And then basically my entire vacation, I was worried about things. But she had to, in order to comply with the cease and desist letter, she had to not only come up with a new name, change her name, but because it was a podcast, she had to reach out to all of her past podcast guests right. and say, you can no longer use this name because then I because it's infringing on this person's trademark. Mm-hmm. And she had to do all of it within like 30 days or something. Yeah. And so those are the types of nightmare stories that might not sound like they happen all the time, but I can tell you they happen a lot more than most other legal issues that you're told to just be careful about. Yeah. How can people, uh, you know, make sure that they are not infringing on a trademark though? And this is where it gets hard. Yeah. because. When someone owns a registered trademark, they own not just their registered trademark, but anything that's confusingly similar similar to it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a very gray line between a name that you like that might in any way be similar to something that's registered. And so the only way to know for sure that you're not infringing on someone's trademark is to file it yourself and have it be accepted. Okay. 
if it's not accepted, obviously, then somebody already has the trademark, yeah. most likely. Yeah, it can be refused on other grounds. It yeah. might be refused because something's wrong with your application. But the most common reason for a trademark application to get denied is because someone else has something too similar. Okay. And last year alone, over half a million trademark applications were filed. So mm-hmm. it's becoming increasingly likely that a name that's similar to what you've chosen has already been claimed. Sounds a little bit scary, to be honest, that yeah. you come up with something great and then just, yeah, if you try to, does it cost anything to file the trademark, by the way? Yeah, it costs at least $200 to file it. Yeah, exactly. And that goes to the trademark office. And you don't get, the, you don't get that back if they cancel mm-hmm. your application. Yeah, so that's, for, uh, I mean, for small business owners, that's obviously a you know, relatively big cost to spend on something that's not going to happen yeah, just to figure well, out something. And so, right. And so we, what we, what we do is we've got our one-to-one law firm, but we've also got a DIY or kind of done with you course where we show you kind of the inside strategy and framework that our law firm uses Mm -hmm. so that people can buy that course once and apply for as many trademarks as they need to. And what I tell people is when you apply for a trademark, you might not get the result you want, but you'll always get the lesson that you needed to hear. Mm -hmm. And it's even though most small businesses don't have the budget or it wouldn't make sense for them to trademark, try and trademark all the names that they're using. Mm -hmm. But every business owner has at least one part of their brand that they should try and apply for. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise you're just one day away from receiving some type of a demand letter or infringement report that can shut you down overnight. Mm -hmm. What kind of things are people trademarking? I mean, obviously podcasts, we talked about that. Uh, Any other things that you see regularly people? Podcasts, business names, slogans, key frameworks that are a part of their program. We're we're working with a lot of uh, kind of Ascension model thought leaders right now. Mm -hmm. So they probably have a podcast and a course and a framework and these different methodologies and strategies that they've named that Mm -hmm. they speak about on stage. Right. And so part of what I do as like a strategist around this is help them prioritize, okay, which ones should we tackle first and trademark. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the, the strategy for protecting and enforcing a more complicated portfolio, we could get into that, but usually (laughs) there's like a, a distilled version of that that is good enough for smaller businesses. Mm. Okay. Okay. I know, or I don't know, I can't say 100% sure, but let's get ready to rumble. That phrase is trademark, right? Or is uh, it not? Probably. I think so. I think I read that somewhere that, you know, the guy who started saying that, he got a trademark, so nobody else could say it or nobody else can use it. Or if they do, they have to pay him royalties to use it. Yeah. So he's making a lot of money, I would assume, on royalties. Maybe. So, but that's one of, the, one of the dangers right now is people thinking that, oh, I just have to coin a phrase that mm-hmm. will go viral and then I can make money. And yeah. that's not how trademarks work. No. And so right now we're seeing a lot of people apply for like really clever phrases mm-hmm. and they're getting denied because in order to be a trademark, you actually have to be selling something. Okay that is tied to that word or phrase. And so um, the trademark office is 
is dealing with more and more fraudulent applications. And so they're um, policing applications even more um, and denying even more of the applications that come through. And so one thing that we do with our clients, but also with our students in the program is make sure that they understand uh, where those pitfalls are in the search and application process. Mm. Um, okay. Well, like we discussed a little bit before we got on this um, yeah. episode, um, obviously this is something people maybe don't even know that they want for one thing, or they don't even know if they need it. So how can, you know, how can get people started to think about this in the first place? I mean, obviously it's important. Yeah. Yeah. So I I do have a free training that walks people through kind of how to think about this Mm -hmm. at like a one-on-one level, just so that they can start to make judgment calls for themselves. Yeah. Because I'm not here to tell you that you need one thing or you should have one thing or another. Uh, I'm just kind of here to let you know as someone who is seeing the back end of what's happening, trying to communicate that in a way that lands and is powerful for people who mm-hmm. might be completely new to the idea. So for anybody who is who wants that free training, maybe we can talk about that later. Yeah. But the one of the things that I talk about in that training is if you think about your business, think about your you want to think about two things and you want to think about these two things in terms of where your business is currently at, but also where you're projecting it to go. One of them is how much do you want to grow? Mm-hmm. Do you plan on being a low growth business or a high growth business? And also what, what is just your human sense of like how much protection you need? Are you, are you, te- do you tend to be a risk averse person mm-hmm. or do you tend to be more of like a cowboy when it comes to your business? <laughs> yeah. And usually, well, let me say it this way. If you're a low growth and a low risk, mm-hmm. our name for people kind of in that category is the dabblers. And I don't mean that with any shame or any judgment. I'm just saying like, mm-hmm. if that's your goal, then you might not ever get to a point where you, where your brand becomes valuable. Mm-hmm. Meaning that you're not having to rely on converting cold leads to buy from you because you can just get the warm leads that you need to keep your business going. But we work with the businesses that want to be high growth. And if you are working on scaling your business, then having your brand owned by you is something that you can't afford not to do. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense. It does. Mm-hmm. Now we will uh, we'll we'll link up to your free training uh, in the show notes so we can get people to join that if they feel like this is something that they want to look into. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk a little about you know the launching bit. You obviously launched a few cor- or a course yourself a few times, and uh, I would love to hear kind of like I love to hear, talk about like the first launch. That's like the, oh my God, I'm launching moment, you know, uh, when yeah. you do that first launch. So let's just dig into that first and we'll take it to kind of where you're at now. Well, you know, um, always got to plug my buddy, Jimmy Dubs, James Wedmore in Business by Design. I would not have built my course if it wasn't for that program. Mm-hmm. And so I did do, um, he calls it like a monetize before you make it type of a model. I sold my course before it was totally finished. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, if I do that, then selling it will be really easy. And when those weeks when I was working on making it available and then during like the five or seven days that the cart was open, I learned firsthand just how many steps and layers go into making this like 
machine happen mm-hmm. A to Z. Yeah. And I think one of the scariest parts of your first launch is that you don't know which parts of those layers to focus on. It seems like it's all important. Yeah. And the nice thing about your first launch is usually you've got, for a lot of people, it, it can feel like one of their best launches ever. Mm-hmm. Just because they, they've already got this group of people who have been waiting for them to do something. Yeah. And so you've got probably the most warm leads you'll ever have in your business who are just ready to hear from you. And, and so it's this weird combination of like actually being beta. Like there's a lot of things that you have to iron out, but you've also got like a ton of supportive people in your funnel. Mm-hmm who like who are understanding through it. And so the the first launch was in all I, I don't remember all of the the data and everything, but I think we made around five thousand dollars. That's pretty good for a first launch though. Yeah. And and considering um, you you kind of made it after you launched, obviously. Yeah. And so after that we decided to quarterly launch. And I would say my second and my third launches was when I really started to feel the weight of it because mm-hmm. I wasn't seeing, I didn't have that warm market that I had the first time as much. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And it was harder to get people to convert. And at that point I learned that not all of the layers in your launch funnel should be created equally. Mm-hmm. And I could have a gazillion people sign up for my training, but if none of them, watched it live and if none of them opened my emails then it didn't matter yeah and so we i kind of started working one by one on getting those like mini conversion rates up so first it was you know i want to make sure that you know close to 30 percent of the people who who sign up for the webinar show up for the webinar okay so you started in that end and make sure you're tweaking that and once I got that in, then I was like, okay, I want to make sure that 30%, and this was a high bar for myself, but I said, mm-hmm. I want 30% of the people who watched it live to buy. Mm-hmm. That's pretty high numbers. Right. And so, but I did that because I said, okay, this is going to be live and I want to eventually take this evergreen. Mm-hmm. And so if I want to make sure that when I'm evergreen and this is all recorded, that people still buy, it's yeah. got to be really good. Mm-hmm. And so when I re- decided that I was going to do this kind of, layered approach and i really wanted my webinar to be high i put aside the idea of quarterly launches and i started launching every two weeks okay and you did that that just so that i could build that muscle that i could have more consistency and kind of see what i could do to get more people to buy Hmm. and it took me maybe a month and a half two months but eventually we got it to that 30 percent nice and so, so then I gave myself the break. <laughs> I stopped doing the two launches a month thing, which was kind of nuts. Yeah. And then we started focusing on, okay, what's next? We've got certain emails that are lower than we'd like. So how can we improve our subject lines? Our landing page for the webinar itself is um, not as high as we think it could be. So what tweaks can we make to that? Mm-hmm. And instead of just kind of, rating the success or failure of a launch by how many sales we got. We just dialed in each time on, this is the number that we're wanting to focus on. Mm-hmm. 
and now we're at a point where we feel like the the biggest opportunity is what can we say on Facebook ads, social media posts that make people click into the landing page? Mm-hmm. Because once they get to the landing page, our metrics show that we can convert. Yep. And I think as somebody in the core space, you're constantly juggling to what extent do I want to focus on playing defense and continuing to improve the back end of all of these conversion layers versus playing offense and just finding more leads to bring in. Mm-hmm. And so we're maybe a month into changing from being really heavy on the defense to now a lot heavier on the offense. Yeah, exactly. What I liked about this is that you decided to work on each step separately and making sure that, you know, step one is this good. Step two, okay, now I can move to step two and tweaking that. And then I can move to step three and tweaking that. Making sure that you, because I think a lot of people when they start looking at this and, oh man, I got to fix this, I got to fix this, and then they try to fix everything. And then you really don't know what was working or what wasn't working because you don't look at each step individually. Right. And it's, it definitely has tried my patience. Absolutely. (laughs) I thought it would in the beginning, but it's definitely a long game strategy to go kind of layer by layer with this. The nice thing though, and the reason why I love courses is you really do build from past experiences every time. Yeah. And once you do get your landing page converting at 40%, you know you don't have to change it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Then you could just kind of scale it and yep. yeah, it will still get the same result. I also like that you decided you can launch this, you know, every second week. I mean, and I understand that that's a lot of work, but obviously that will get you the data a lot quicker in terms of, you know, or instead of trying to launch, like you said, quarterly, you're going to get spend the entire year trying to get to this data. Right. Yeah. Is that something you would advise people to do or is it, would you say that that's a lot of work and you need to know what you're getting into? I think that if it depends on kind of like what your finish line is. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that I want to scale my courses and I know that because I have a law firm, I like the ability to tell somebody I'm on the phone with, if they're not ready to invest in me one-to-one yet, that I have a course they can sign up for instead of Mm. telling them that they have to sign up for a waiting list. Yeah. And so because of that, I knew that I wanted my course to go evergreen. And I also just have a great team. And I think that a lot of people are really unwilling to delegate even like a mess to a VA. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that now when, when I was doing those like launches every two weeks, 90% of the work either was already done by a previous launch yep. or was done by a VA. Yeah, exactly. Because you didn't have to kind of reinvent the wheel for every right. single launch. You already done it. So you needed to just kind of make some small tweaks and do the same thing all over again. Right. Yeah. So now you have, you just have this one course that's evergreen. Are you planning on doing anything different that's kind of more quarterly like you talked about in the beginning it's it's interesting yeah so um the plan was not to do anything else um but uh around this time a year ago um i was invited to a 
conference with a bunch of lawyers to talk about the fact that I was building a course. Cool. Yeah. Cause and I can imagine lawyers, there's not much online courses in that. No, space. there's really not. <laughs> and I wasn't sure how people, how many people in the group were already kind of thinking of an online course or, or not, but I was afterwards, I was met with a lot of people who were like, this is amazing. Show me how to do it. And so we, I quickly got to work on creating a group coaching program specifically for lawyers. So an entirely other niche. Okay. And I'm actually in the middle of launching both of those two courses right now. So I'm doing a really kind of messy light launch of my trademark trademark training right now, just to test some, some more conversion metrics. Mm -hmm. And with COVID-19 being what it is, and a lot of lawyers now saying that their phones are no longer ringing, yeah. bringing that back and letting lawyers know that they can join in on this so we can launch their first beta. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Uh, helping. I mean, that's kind of, in terms of, in the time of recording this, we're in the midst of this coronavirus thing and things are crazy. And you are showing that, you know, even though this is happening, we can still shift or pivot or whatever you want to call it and you know use this to our advantage not in a you know sleazy way at all but in order to help people and serve people in a different kind of way you're doing exactly that right now i love that thank you yeah i've i've learned that pivoting depending on the context in the entrepreneur space can either be like a positive word or a negative word mm. and i think it really depends on the intention so in a way, like we're pivoting some of our plans right now so we can make this legal program available. And my team and I feel really good about it because like you said, we we saw a need there and we saw that we could solve the problem. I think sometimes people pivot out of fear. Mm -hmm. People make some change that's more based on emotion than data about people don't want this. Or if I if my next launch is through a Facebook pop-up group challenge versus a webinar, I think that'll be easier. I think those types of pivots are a little bit more dangerous because mm. you're, you're doing it out of a fear that the last thing didn't work and this might save you. Mm -hmm. And yes, I'm building a business and to support myself and my team, the business has to make money, but we're trying as much as possible to kind of check our decisions at the door and make sure that we are not putting offers on the table just because we feel like we're going to have a so late, uh, like a low sales month that we need to prepare. It's more about, okay, let's listen to what different types of followers that we have right now are wanting and how can we be true entrepreneurs and being flexible and creating something to help them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, like you said, uh, people do pivoting because of fear. And I think people are pivoting because that previous launch failed. Or yeah. at least that's what, what they think. And uh, obviously, you know, launches never fail. We just need to look at what can we learn from it and take from that, obviously. But uh, this is, you know, we're talking about a whole different thing. We're talking about a shift and making sure that our messaging or our product offer fits with the context of what's happening today. And that's kind of what's different with the, with the whole of this uh, thing. And I think also... The biggest mistake is that people look at wrong things. Like you said, they're looking at the webinar. Uh, that didn't work, so I'm going to try something different. But right. it's more likely that is your messaging isn't on on point or you didn't convey the value in the offer. 
yep. those are kind of more typical things that you should be looking at versus, you know, oh, the webinar didn't work, so I'm going to try uh, Facebook Lives instead. Right. Yeah. You would agree with that, right? Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of people, when they talk about messaging, they're not really thinking about the context of where their messaging is. And they're just like, okay, what do I need to say for people to buy from me? Mm-hmm. And what, if you're not careful, what you end up doing is your social media post and your website webinar landing page and your webinar and your sales page all have the same consistent message of buy from me. When really the point of each of those layers is just to get the person to go to the next step. Mm-hmm. So um, what someone needs to hear on a webinar to sign up and buy from you is different than what they need to hear on a social media post that lets them know that you're doing the training in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And figuring out what those messages are at those different kind of building blocks in your, in your funnel. I mean, it's not easy. I think it's kind of fun. Messaging is really hard to be honest. It's yeah. uh, and, it, and that's exactly why it's so important too. <laughs> the hard stuff is important. That's the yeah. way it is. Yeah. Well, you've worked a lot with your messaging in terms of your course and everything. So how you dealt with all of that? We've definitely invested in a really great copyright course. Mm-hmm. And then I work with the same person who has that course on like a monthly basis. We grab like an hour call. Mm-hmm. I will say if, especially on copywriting, but any part of your business, if you realize that it's important, then be careful not to listen to too many experts on that thing. Because what will happen is eventually, without a doubt, those two different experts will disagree on something. And neither of them are wrong. Like both of them can work, Mm -hmm. but you will then spend a lot of time trying to pick who to choose. And so, and I'm saying this because I made this mistake on a lot of things. And like Facebook ads is a big one. We got like three different Facebook ads courses that had totally different things and didn't know which path to go down. So when we decided to invest in copywriting, we were like, we're going to find one expert and we're going to just turn down the volume on all of the other copywriting advice that we're hearing. Mm -hmm. And that has worked for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's also made it a lot easier as a business owner and with my team to just kind of listen to that one person and go through what they're telling us to do, be in integrity with fulfilling what we promised them versus Mm -hmm. buying a ton of different courses and freebies and trying to build some program that puts it all together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you're also doing some affiliate launch coming up, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's something we haven't talked about on this uh, show before. So why don't you share a little bit about that? So when we decided that we wanted to go evergreen, meaning that we wanted to kind of make the course always available to interested leads and not just, you know, four or whatever times a year when the cart was open. Um, what you realize quickly is that uh, after you launch something, people forget about it. Mm-hmm. And so it's really difficult once you go evergreen to consistently get sales. And to consistently let people know that they can sign up for it. Mm -hmm. And so the two main ways to get that consistent revenue is number one, Facebook ads and number two, affiliates. Okay. When we looked at the numbers and looked at the different directions, to us, it made more sense to prioritize 
affiliates over Facebook ads. And we're still doing some ads, but the reality is even if you get like a 5X return on your Facebook ads, Mm -hmm. you would still have to spend $2,000 a month to make $10,000 a month. Yeah, exactly. Whereas with, with affiliates, I mean, and working with affiliates is tough. Like the, like we, we've done dozens and we're, and we're learning, but I, I love it because I get to connect with a bunch of different business owners mm-hmm. uh, and help them out. But the nice thing is that you only pay the commission when there's a sale. Yeah. So no cost up front. No cost up front. And, and I mean, it, it forces you to, again, like going back to like my two launches a month type mm-hmm. of thing, when you are, when you're doing an affiliate, I want to be clear here because some people think, oh, that I have an affiliate. That just means that I'm going to give all of these affiliates an affiliate code to my sales page and they'll just put that link somewhere. That's not the right way to do affiliates. Um, you, the best way that we've found is to live launch with the affiliate partner. So now instead of doing, again, like a year and a half ago, I was doing one live launch a quarter. Mm-hmm. Then for a while, I was doing like two live launches a month. Now I'm doing like eight live launches a month. <laughs> so you're going even more crazy. But they're, but they're, but I'm doing it now in this mindset of quantity creates quality. Mm-hmm. And so we're doing it knowing that a lot of the affiliates that we work with, it may be it's their first time or they don't have a ton of followers or whatever. And so we're doing 26 live affiliate launches in Q2. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. The, the, if we do that though, then it'll be pretty easy for us to hit our like projection goal numbers mm-hmm. for the quarter. But then once that, hopefully once we have a better sense of how it goes and how to better qualify affiliates before we approach them, I don't have to do it as often. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, at the same time, like uh, with my team and with our automations and with everything that we've learned in the past in place, when I say that I do a live launch, eight times a week, all of that means is that I show up eight times and do an hour long training live mm-hmm. a month. And I love doing this training. Like I kind of feel like a rock star who has to perform every night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like if, if, if this is all I have to do as a business owner to make money, like awesome. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but what's the reasoning by doing eight launches now in one month? Is it to get the data and then maybe space it it's, out more later or to get the data it's to iron out our affiliates so we have someone on our team who is our affiliate lead and she is becoming like best friends with our affiliate partners mm-hmm. she's doing a call with them beforehand a call with them afterwards and really kind of seeing what we can improve on each time okay and so it's kind of like us learning from our quarterly launches again like on steroids mm-hmm. so our mission is to provide like the best red carpet affiliate experience we can. Because mm-hmm. we know that our people in our space who find out what we do and that we do trademarks know that they quickly learn that their own business owner, students, clients, customers need this and they can't offer it. And so if we can give you a 50% commission for you to just share this with your people, it's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, I mean, this is, so many people out there who could offer this to their audience as well. Yep. So, yep. but how do you go about finding an affiliate? How, where do you kind of start with that? Oh, geez. 
That was one of the harder things. Now what we do is it's very similar to live launching itself where you have to get used to being told no a lot and you Mm -hmm. have to kind of develop that skin, which it actually feels a lot more uncomfortable to put yourself out there to like an affiliate versus a customer. Mm-hmm. Because these affiliates are like friends, are like people on my wavelength, and I don't want them to not like me, you know, <laughs> or like have me think that I'm coming on too fast. Yeah, I, if that's a customer, like that's okay. Like I don't want to say that's okay, but like I've gotten more used to not being a good fit for my customers. But mm-hmm. being told that I'm not a good fi- a fit by my peers is more uncomfortable. And so what I'm now doing though is I'm having that same affiliate lead on my team. She reaches out to. 10 people a week to see if they'd be interested. Mm -hmm. She started out with five and now 10. And hopefully by the end of Q2, it'll be closer to like 20 or 30 new pitches a Mm -hmm. week just so that we can start building those relationships. And the worst they can do is say no. Yeah. But are you going after like, should I say cold affiliates or are they people that you have in your network? Yeah, so we're... It's a combination of reaching out to people who have been a guest on my podcast, reaching out to my business friends and see if they have anybody who would be a good fit, and then going on the checking out, just doing like some podcast research. So if I have a good friend who I know has helped me and we have a similar audience and she's got a great podcast, then I can just kind of go through her entire podcast guest catalog, mm-hmm. do a little bit of research on each of them and write like a very genuine good intentioned email just saying, Hey, I'd love to get to know you and see if we'd be a good fit for my program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You're not just putting it out there. Oh, I want you to be my affiliate. Come right. on, sign up this form, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, and that's key. That's key is that you like, and I'm like, when I say this is strategic, I don't want to say that this is like deceitful or anything, but we found not to make the ask initially, like, do you want to be an affiliate? It's just mm-hmm. like, hey, we, we can collaborate. And how, like, whether that's me helping you, you helping me, like, I just want to connect. Mm-hmm. And so the the first ask that we do in those emails that my assistant sends out is just, let's hop on a call and talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. Because when you being an affiliate, you want it to be a good fit. Like I said, you want to be sure that people can, like, get behind whatever you're selling and they need yeah. to actually believe that it's uh, valuable for their audience as well. Yeah. So that fit is extremely important. Absolutely. Great. We didn't mention your podcast, but you did mention it now in just a few minutes ago. Just drop it out there. What is it? How can people sure. find it? So I say podcast because that's kind of what people understand. It's not really a podcast. It's a, a Facebook live show Okay, that I do at least once a week called Stupid Deep. And it's literally me just getting stupid deep with other business owner friends that I meet. <laughs> Sounds really great though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. I yeah. love it. Um, and how can, I mean, yeah, the, I'm thinking about just wrapping this up, but uh, do you have any last tips in terms of launching and trademarking? What should people think about as a last tip? Yeah. So on the trademark side, again, like, We'll, we'll figure out how to get you guys this link to this free training. Absolutely. There's probably, instead of trying to think about, oh my gosh, how can I trademark everything? I would say your main homework <laughs> is to just think about what is the one thing in my business that I probably need to call dibs on legally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can put aside everything for now, but like if you were to prioritize that list, what would be number one? 
And then in terms of the affiliates and everything else with the launching, and my thing is like, there's no right way to build a course these days. And yeah. one of my favorite parts is that you get to decide how you want to create it. Like I, I know friends who are going down the affiliate route, but even them, they're doing it in a totally different way than I am. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's just how can you get clear about the business that you want to have three to five years from now? And what can you start doing now to stay in alignment with that? Mm-hmm. I also say that, you know, if you want the data quicker, launch more often. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm, I'm glad you circled back to that because a lot of people hear what I do and they're like, don't you annoy the heck out of your audience? Mm-hmm. And the reality is that they don't notice as much yeah. as you think that they do. Yeah, exactly. And so it reminds me of every morning when I get up and I'm supposed to work out, I can think of a million reasons not to get up and work out in the morning. <laughs> and sometimes I can do a really good job convincing myself. Mm-hmm. But if, if I can come up with a reason that's like, good enough mm-hmm. and great and i think you have to be careful whenever it comes to things like well won't my people be annoyed because are you really wondering that or are you looking for an excuse not to launch as often as you could be mm-hmm. yeah that's a great way of looking at it so how can people reach out to you or find you on social media website all that good stuff yeah so um you can you can find me on instagram is a great place at joey c vitale and then I'll say, you know, the main thing that I I think would help all of you guys out, though, would just be to go to joeycvitali.com slash training, get that free gift training of mine. And Mm -hmm. um, whether or not you choose to invest in any legal stuff, I think that just learning what's inside there, learning what mistakes you can avoid will be super helpful for you. Yeah, absolutely. I hope people just get a little bit more awareness around trademarking and maybe should at least start thinking about it. If not, you know, if they're not doing anything about it, but at least they're aware of it. And um, yeah. I just want to thank you to hopping on the show and talking about it and sharing your experience, your launches and especially affiliate launches, which we haven't talked about before. I love that. So thank you so much. Of course, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we're wrapping it up. Um, I can't wait to catch you up in the next episode. Um, take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Oh My God, I'm Launching podcast. Now, if you like this episode, I would really appreciate if you left a review over on iTunes. And secondly, head on over to Instagram and connect with me at Ken Westgar. That's K-E-N-W-E-S-T-G-A-A-R-D. And drop me a DM and tell me all about your launch. And I'll catch you in the next episode.